go through the series called Beatitudes, and it's been an eight-part series. We got to part number seven today. It's been kind of a long series, but it's all based on eight phrases or eight statements that Jesus made in a sermon that he gave called the Sermon on the Mount. At the very beginning, he made these statements about how you can have a happy and blessed and truly well-off life. And we've got to part number seven in the seventh statement that he makes. And so today we're going to be talking about peace. But when I say the word peace, many of you, you have different views or you you may have different pictures of peace. And we've got some symbols I want to show you today that symbolize peace. And and you may recognize some of this one. This one is uh, the world shaking hands and everyone getting on. Wouldn't that be wonderful if the whole world got on and everybody had peace, right? The the, the next symbol that that we show, some of you, you, you remember that because it's taking you back to the 70s when you had that hippie van and you put this symbol on the side of the van and you thought, peace, world peace, everything's peace, yeah, great, because this is a symbol of peace. Uh, Back in the 70s, it came out. And then the the next sign, uh, some of you know this because you've done it. You've gone up to people and gone, peace, man, what up, peace, like this. If you do that in the UK, you're actually cursing at someone, like you're flipping them off. So don't do that if you go to the UK. Uh, But here we're like, yeah, peace, what up, peace, you know. And then the next uh, slide for you Christians amongst us, uh, I thought I'd throw this one in. It's a symbol of a dove with an olive branch. It symbolizes peace. And so many of us have different views of peace. But when a lot of you, when you think of peace, you think of world peace. And when you think of world peace, there's only one thing that you can actually think of when you think of world peace. And it's something like this. I would have to say world peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. Uh, Thank you, Gracie Lou. And thank you, Stan. Cheryl Frazier from Rhode Island. That was charming. Are you drunk? I'm glad you enjoyed it, Marky. Excuse me, I have to go and screw my smile. So a lot of people think that beauty pageants, world peace is the answer that you give, right? World peace. But peace comes in so many different ways and so many different forms. But uh, the word peace basically means to have freedom from disturbance and strife. It is harmony in relationships. And there are so many people, they live in this life to avoid strife, to to do anything to avoid conflict, but they refuse to bring harmony to their relationships. They want a ceasefire, but not a reconciliation of relationships. And this isn't real peace. Many people think if we can just have a ceasefire, it's peace. And you see this a lot in international affairs. If you ever read history and countries who have gone to war with each other, they've come together and they've signed a peace treaty. And and basically all that is, is that we're saying, we're not going to bomb you or we're not going to go to war against you and send an army against you. But a lot of the time, it doesn't really mean that they are coming together in harmony or in relationship. It's just a cease 
fire. But when you've experienced real peace, you'll find that real peace is life-changing and life-giving. Now, when Jesus walked this earth, Jesus lived in a time when the Roman Empire had invaded most of the known world. And Jesus lived in an area of the world called Judea, which is like Palestine, Israel today. And, and, and the Romans had invaded and conquered and taken over the ruling of the area of Judea. And tensions were high because the Jewish people, they wanted rid of the Romans. And, and they wanted to, to get a fight. They wanted to go to war against the Roman uh, the the ruling Romans. And so they, uh, they, they, they thought that if there was somebody that we could just get behind who could lead us to war, then we could get rid of the Romans. They didn't want peace. They wanted conflict because they wanted to get rid of the Roman rule. And so in the Old Testament, there had been prophesied that a Messiah would come and this Messiah would come and restore Israel. And so everybody was looking for the Messiah, the person that they could get behind that would become the king so that they could all rally around and they could go to war against the Romans with the Messiah. And so they were ready for this fight. And even in the, in the society amongst the Jews in Judea, there was fighting amongst the religious groups. There were four main religious groups of the day. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essians, and the Zealots. And they all thought that their way was the best way to restore Israel to its former glory. And they each thought that the other people were hindering Israel from being restored. For example, the Essians, the Essians believed that you should withdraw yourself from society, that you shouldn't have anything to do with the culture, you should put bubble wrap around you, put your head in the sand, and hope that everything goes away, and when you come back out, everything is okay. And then the zealots, the zealots believed that you needed to get involved in politics and in the government, and that you needed to to create a revolution that would overthrow the Romans. And so they were like, let's get involved, while the Essians were saying, no, let's withdraw. And you saw all these differences between these people. But the people were hoping that when Jesus came along and Jesus started to perform miracles, and people, the crowd started to follow Jesus, they were hoping that Jesus would be the guy that would form an army that they would all get behind and fight the Romans and defeat the Romans. And then Jesus started to open his mouth and a lot of people started to get a little disappointed because the words of Jesus were anything but conflict or war, but they were about peace. And so Jesus made these statements, and in the seventh statement that he made in this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this statement to the people. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Or some translation says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God. Jesus comes along and everyone's like, no, we don't want peace. We want more. We want war. But Jesus is telling his listeners, he is saying that peace, not war, has actually the power to restore and bring in a new day. See, this is the problem. Most people think that peace is an, an agreement to cease conflict. But really, peace is a way of life. 
It's a way of life that you live, that you can live, and you can live in peace. And Jesus had come not to make an agreement with the Romans, not to fight the Romans, but Jesus had come to give peace to humanity so that humans could receive and experience peace in their lives. Isaiah chapter six and uh, sorry chapter nine and verse six tells us it's a prophecy of the coming Messiah who we now know is Jesus. And Isaiah said this: "For our, for a child is born to us, a son is given." In about eight weeks, you guys are going to be celebrating Christmas. Can you believe it's that close? It's like some of you are now starting to freak out. It's like, oh my word, eight weeks? I got to go do some shopping. But we're going to be celebrating the child which was born, which was Jesus, who was born in a stable in Bethlehem. And this is what Isaiah was referring to, this child Jesus. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And then they call him this, the Prince of Peace. So Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. Actually, this word peace is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. It's a word that, that is, is, is used a lot, and there's not many words that are used more. Maybe the word love or fear not is used a few more times, but peace is one of the most used words in the Bible, and this is the reason why. Because peace is an attribute of God. It is a characteristic of God. If you were to take God and study his DNA, peace would be a huge element of God's DNA. 1 Corinthians verse 14, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 33 tells us, For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy peoples. Then in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 16, it tells us, Now now may the Lord of peace give himself, you his peace, at all times and in every situation the Lord be with you. And throughout the Bible, we see time and time again in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that God is referred to as a God of peace. Because that is a characteristic of God. Peace runs through the blood of God. And so if Jesus is God in human form, then peace also runs through Jesus. Peace is also a characteristic of Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells us this in John 14 and verse 27. It says, Jesus says, I have come to give the gift of peace to you. See, the peace that Jesus comes and gives is the opportunity to experience harmony. Firstly, harmony between you and God and harmony between you and other people. This is what peace does. It brings harmony. See, for when you are making peace, you are doing what God is doing. Because if you are a follower of Jesus today, then you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, you are doing what your father does. Now, how many of you have ever uh, been somewhere and someone says, wow, you look just like your mom or your dad? I remember the first time it ever happened to me. I was, about, I was in my early 20s and I'd met somebody who knew my dad years and years ago. And it was this lady and she just started looking at me. 
And she was like, just like staring. I'm like, whoa, you're freaking me out. What's going on? It's like, she says, I, I was like, why are you staring? She says, because I'm looking at you and it's just like I'm looking at your dad. And I did not take that as a compliment. I think I'm better looking than my dad, you know. So it's more of a compliment for him than me. And he didn't look like me anymore. He's got a little old and gray and saggy and wrinkly and stuff like that. So, but, but basically, she was like, you are your father's child. And, and, and it kind of worries me every day because each week I see it more and more. I'm in my house and I start seeing my wife and I start looking at her and I'm like, are you really my mother-in-law or my wife? Because she's becoming more and more and more like my mother-in-law uh, uh, in just her characteristics and the things that she says. And, and if she's going to like end up being the height of my mother-in-law, like she's going to like shrink about this much. And it kind of worries me that it's like she's going to be like tiny because my mother-in-law is tiny. But she's becoming more and more like my mother-in-law because we have the DNA of our parents within us and we become like them. And sometimes we look like them and then and often we take on the characteristics of them. And I see myself more and more doing things like my dad does. And it kind of worries me that I'm becoming more and more like my dad. And then I see things in my son. And, and like when he has a ten- temper tantrum and stuff, I'm like, that's not my DNA, babe. That's your DNA. You know what I mean? And, and you see that in your children. They become more and more like you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have become a child of God. And you then become more and more like God because you've got the characteristics and the attributes of God within you. I think it wouldn't it be awesome if... If, if we met people and maybe old friends and, 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 and they've experienced God and then they look at us and they're like, whoa, when I'm looking at you, it's like I'm looking at God. It's like you, you've got the same characteristics, same things that God does. Or, or, or if someone experienced God for the first time, they're like in awe and wonder because they're like, whoa, this is just like you. God is just like you because we are his children. I think that would be awesome if people couldn't tell the difference between us and Jesus. That would be pretty amazing. But if you are a Christian, then peace should not be something that you hope for. Peace should be something that is very evident in your life because it is a characteristic of God. And if you are a child of God, then you should also start to develop those characteristics as well. So when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers or God blesses those who work for peace, he is using a word that is not passive, but a word that is active. The word peacemaker describes someone who goes out to make peace. This is not someone who tries to just avoid conflict at all costs and like tr- just tries to keep the peace so, so, so that no, nobody's upset. This is somebody who confronts conflicts and fights for unity. Peace, making peace is a messy business, but it's an essential business as well. Have you ever met that person who avoids conflict at all costs? Maybe you've got someone in your family who's just like that, or you've got a friend. I, I, I knew a lady who, she would do anything to avoid conflict. She just wanted to keep the peace at the, at the time. Even to, 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 to uh, uh, her own detriment, she would 
just tried to keep the peace and avoid conflict. And in the end, there was a conflict at work that she was involved in, and she just did not want to approach it. So she decided the best course of action was to resign and leave that place of work so that she didn't have to confront the conflict so she could just keep the peace. Isn't that crazy? Someone was so fearful of being able to confront conflict because she just wanted to keep the peace. That person is not a peacemaker. See, when you make peace, you get your hands dirty. I love what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 to 15 tells us. It tells us about us who are followers of Jesus. It says, work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life for those who are not holy, uh, who are not holy will not see God. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, what happens when you just try to keep the peace. Eventually, you'll just get bitter in your heart. And that bitter will grow. And that is why you need to work at making peace in your life. And the further you walk on this journey of faith, the more you live in the kingdom of God, the more natural it becomes to work for peace. So you may say, well, Alex, where, where do I need to make peace in my life? And, uh, and I can see five things where, or five places where you need to start to make peace in your life. The first place you need to make peace is peace in your heart. The great thing about this is really you don't have to work to make peace in your heart. See, all you need to do is come and surrender your life to Jesus and then Jesus comes to work because Jesus is a peacemaker and he starts to make peace in your heart. You start to make peace with God and harmony with God and then the peace in your heart starts to transcend into your life. And so when you're worried about things and you don't have peace and you can't sleep at night, the Bible tells us that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. See, God comes into your life and Jesus comes and he makes peace in your heart so that you have peace with God and you do not have anxiety about the things for tomorrow. That's the first area that you need to make peace. The second area that you need to work to make peace is in your family. In your family. This really is a no-brainer because most of us have issues in our family, right? Most of us have issues in, in, in different areas of our lives. May, maybe, you know, you've got a sibling that you're squabbling with. Maybe, you know, you've got parents or children that are fighting with each other. Maybe you've got some marital issues or some issues with your kids. But there, there seems to always be issues with families. And what I've discovered with issues with my family is if, if my enemies are, are at war with me, I'm okay with it. But when there's issues between my wife and myself, it like consumes my life. I can't sleep. I can't do anything. You know, I, 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 or I have to resolve the issue. Because issues with family and conflict in family just comes and destroys us. Let me just tell you. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, this is what I think we should do. doesn't mean that they're right. doesn't mean that you're wrong. But I do think that often we should take the high ground. And if we're a believer of Jesus Christ in our family, if there's conflict in your family, you need to be the one that, makes the com- that, that takes the high ground and tries to resolve that conflict. 
I know for some of you, you may have anxiety because of that, because you don't like conflict. But if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, then peace should be in your heart. And you need to make conflict. And there's some of you, you've had some deep grievances for a long time with some people in your family. You need to come together and you need to make peace. Third area that you need to make peace is in the church. You would think that in the church, that oh, we're all holy, we all love God, we're, we're all, we should all come together and like hold hands and sing kumbaya and, and we'll be great, right? But the reality is that the church is full of human pe- people and humans have conflicts. And sometimes, and unfortunately, some of the worst conflicts I've ever seen have been inside the walls of a church. Not quite as bad as those presidential debates, but pretty bad. And that is so sad. But the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 14, 19, he says, So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. And if you are someone who is a regular here at Generation Church, one of your missions in life, one of your requirements of being a follower of Jesus Christ is to make sure there's harmony in the church, that there is unity in the church. The fourth area that I believe you need to make peace is in society. With maybe your friends or your neighbors or your co-workers or your competition or a business associates, and people that you do life with every single day, and sometimes they, they, they can do wrong to you and do different things, and, and, and there can be this conflict. But as a believer of Jesus Christ, because you have peace in your heart, then you need to make peace in those areas. And I think every one of us, we should do this. We should drive to the local flower shop or go to the garden center at Home Depot and buy ourselves a big bundle of, of olive branches, leave it in our car, and when there's ever an issue, just take out one of the olive branches and hand it to our friends and neighbors and co-workers and enemies and competition and business associates. Then the last area I think that we need to make peace is in our state and in our nation. And this is the hardest because we have the least influence in these areas. But this is why the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, he said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, pray for the leaders of the nation the kings and those in authority. I don't know if any of you saw any of those presidential debates, but this is what I I saw when I saw it. I was like, boy, these two people need prayer. Seriously, need prayer. I mean, we laugh, and, 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 it's, and it's funny because they're at each other's throats, but the reality is, is there's nothing Christ-like about those two. I mean, at all. But we need to pray for the leaders of our nation. And sometimes we're trying to throw or try to bring people down when we should be praying for people. So you may ask, so Alex, if that is the case, if I need to make peace in these areas, then how do I make peace and the Apostle Paul gives us a game plan. He gives us a, uh, a map in order to be able to, to, to make peace in these areas. And it's found in Colossians 3. And I'm going to start reading at verses 12 of Colossians 3. Paul says to the church at Colossae, Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, 
For as members of one body, which is the church, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So this is what Paul tells us. He says that we've got clothes on us and we need to take off these old clothes because these old clothes are dirty, they're nasty, and they are not a good representation of who you are. It's called sin. Sin does that to us. And so Paul is saying you need to take off these old clothes and you need to put on the clothes that God gives you. Now, these clothes aren't just cheapo clothes that, you know, you just go out and, uh, you know, something that's like two sizes too big for you and you look terrible in them. These clothes that God gives you are tailor-made for you. The, the stitching is amazing. The fabric is incredible and they will fit you to the T. Who wants clothes like that, right? That is what God gives you. And so God says, you need to put on the clothes that I give you, that are the clothes of love and forgiveness. And as you put those on, then you need to take off this old mentality that you may have put on a new mentality. Uh, take, 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 take off old attitudes that you have, put on new attitudes so that you can learn to be someone of peace. And these are the attitudes that Paul says we need to put on. The first one is we need to show mercy. Several weeks ago, we talked about blessed are the merciful, for they shall be received mercy. We need to show mercy. The second thing that we need to do is we need to be kind. We live in a world where there's not many kind people as much as there used to be. But it costs you nothing to be kind at all. But Christ was kind. God is kind. The Bible says God is kind in his mercies towards you. The next thing that we need to do is we need to walk in humility. Humility basically means that you think more about others than yourself, that you don't think yourself highly than more than what it actually than, than you actually are. And we talked in week two of this series that blessed are the meek or blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth, and that we need to walk in humility. Don't think you're better than others. We need to be gentle. We need to gen- be gentle. See, some people come across as all hard and they can take anything. And it's like, you can throw anything at me. I'm good. I'm fine. I do CrossFit every day. I'm like tough. But the reality is, is most of us, our hearts are fragile. And when God comes to you and speaks to your heart, God is so gentle with your heart because your heart is fragile. Your soul is fragile. And God is saying that we need to be gentle towards others. And then the last way that we become peacemakers is we wait in patience. How many is good? How many of you are good at waiting in patience? I'm like, I don't know about you, but I can be show mercy, I can be kind, I can be humble, I, I, I can be gentle, but patience, come on. It's like these people need to get a move on. They need to do what I'm telling them to do. But patience is one of the hardest things that you can do but all these each of these five they are attributes and characteristics of God in fact Galatians 5 say they are the fruits of the spirit so when you've got God in your life these are the fruits that you should be portraying in your life see when you have God in your life 
these attributes help you to start to see past people's faults. It helps you to radiate the Spirit of God within you, where the cologne or the perfume that you put on starts to emanate out of you love and forgiveness and God. And people start to see God when they see you. See, Paul tells us that one of the best ways that we can do this is actually study the Bible together and worship together. And that's what we're doing this morning. As you've gathered here, we are looking at the Bible and we're, we, we, we've sang songs of worship. We are creating harmony and peace between us. I love what Proverbs sixteen seven says. It says that when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. So if you want peace in your life, then the first thing that that you really should do is look at your relationship with God. Say, is my relationship with God good? Am I doing things that please God or displease God? Because peace comes out of building a good relationship with God. I want to ask you today, are you a peacemaker or are you a peace breaker? Are you a peacemaker or are you a peace breaker. Have you ever wondered why God is so against gossip and strife and envy and slander? It's because it destroys peace. It destroys the very thing that God is trying to create in your life. So I want to ask you, have your conversations lately given peace or have they destroyed peace? Have your motives and actions caused more of a divide Or created unity. See, for those who are called children of God, those who have given their lives to God, they are peacemakers. And the reward for those who choose to be a peacemaker are amazing. The very first thing that you get when you become a peacemaker is this thing called joy. Joy. Proverbs 12, 20 tells us this. Deceit fills hearts that are plotting evil. Joy fills hearts that are planning peace. How many of you want to wake up tomorrow morning when it's like cold and you don't want to go to work, but you wake up and you're like, I have joy within me. Well, people who create peace have joy. How many of you, when the Ravens are losing and they lose bad, you're like, I don't care. I still have joy. People who create peace have joy. How many of you, when the kids are going crazy, like cray-cray, and you're pulling your hair out, you're like, yep, but it's okay because I still have joy. People who make peace have joy. That is the reward of those who who make peace. There's also another reward. You also uh, uh, receive righteousness or become righteous, meaning that you have harmony with God. In week four of this series, we talked about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or they shall be filled. And and to be righteous means to be right with God. And the Bible says that if you make peace, you become right with God. James 3.18 tells us, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of righteousness. 
So when you make peace with, with, with yourself and you make peace with your friends or your family and you make peace in the church and make peace in society and pray for our nation, the leaders of our nations, then what's happening is that God is coming and, and you are becoming more and more right with God because the harvest is righteousness. So I encourage you today, be a peacemaker, not a peace breaker. For when you experience Jesus, that is exactly who you are. Your Father in heaven is a God of peace. And if you are someone who has given your life to Jesus Christ, then peace is, is within you. Become that peacemaker. Help people find their peace with God. If you are a follower of Jesus, then one of the things that you should be doing is helping people see God. So that they can make their peace with God. That is a peacemaker Also, you should be striving to create harmony and working to create harmony with others. For you are a child of God and you are a person of peace. Let's bow our heads in prayer.